Welcome to Covenant Conversations, episode number 18. Today, Peter Washkowitz, the head of Real Covenants in the US, and I, Shweta Rao, the European head, are going to speak about the main areas of covenant pushback in high yield in the US and Europe this year. Last week, GameNet, an Apollo-owned Italian gaming company, priced its new five-year notes, which were to be used to refinance existing debt. Prisoned to investor pushback, it amended its covenants to reduce secure debt capacity, dividends capacity, and insert a cap on certain EBITDA addbacks. GameNet's issuance came on the heels of Advent and Sinven-owned ThyssenKrupp elevator secure note issuance, which also faced significant investor pushback in the end of June. Prior to these two issuances, the last sponsored issuance that faced such significant investor pushback was Bain-owned Cantar's issuance in December 2019 in Europe. In the U.S., Power Team Services, a Clayton Dublin Rice-owned company and Husky International, a platinum equity-owned company, had their covenants tightened during Roadshow this year. So, uh, Shweta, uh, first of all, hello. I cannot believe it's uh, 18, 18 episodes and going. Anyway, yeah, so, you know, since um, the, the pushback is more recent in uh, European deals, um, I'm curious whether you kind of have seen any, um, you know, any kind of trends or any themes uh, that are consistent across uh, all of the pushback terms. The main issue that investors focus on, it seems to be the number one issue, is reducing value leakage. And that comes um, through many ways. For instance, in GameNet, they reduced certain general purpose dividend baskets and inserted default blockers in certain dividend baskets. In Tyson, the bulk of the changes came to prevent value leakage. And because Tyson's covenant package was so ultra-aggressive to start with, the number of changes also was more substantial than you would normally see in other bonds, which don't have such aggressive covenant packages to start with. So in Tyson, for instance, a few of the changes made to reduce value leakage were one, they inserted a J.Crew blocker with respect to material IP. So there was a prohibition on transferring material IP to unrestricted subsidiaries to prevent a J.Crew. Um, they had a very innovative starter amount in their build-up basket, which was yearly. So it sort of, you know, added up in aggregate over the term of the notes to quite a substantial amount that was taken away. And it was just a one starter basket, as is more normal. Um, they added default blockers to certain RP baskets, and then they reduced the size of both dividend baskets and investment baskets. So, you, you know, you mentioned that they were a lot of them were to kind of like the restricted payment baskets were were any uh, uh, changes made to either like the debt capacity secured or otherwise or or just kind of the general purpose investment baskets. So with respect to uh, Tyson's covenant changes, there were changes made around the investment capacity, which permitted leakage to unrestricted subsidiaries. So yes, there were changes and reductions in the amount of that investment capacity. There were also in both GameNet and Tyson, the uh, amount of secured debt capacity and or priming debt capacity was reduced to differing extents. But yes, that's the second most uh, significant aspect that seems to come out of these covenant pushback is one is you reduce the amount of value leakage and the second is you reduce the amount of priming debt and or collateral dilutive debt. 
Yeah, you know, it, it's funny because in um, so in the U.S., uh, there there have not been too many uh, sponsor owned issuances this year. But of of the ones that there were, um, you know, there was Power Team Services, which is a, a Clayton uh, sponsor owned company. Um, and there was a Husky International, which was uh, which is a platinum equity uh, owned company. And in both of those issuances, uh, the majority of the of the changes really also only had to do with um, with kind of the RP capacity, um, specifically in Husky. I mean, they took away general RP capacity. They took away the leverage based capacity uh, and they took away the starter basket and the builder basket. Um, in, in power team services, there weren't as extensive as changes. Um, but what, what, what I find really interesting is, I, I mean, except for um, the, 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 the Dyson, uh, I, I've been having trouble uh, pronouncing it, but um, aside from that, none of these issuances really seem to be reducing uh, the general investment uh, capacity. I, you know, I mean, in bonds, obviously, you can use the general purpose RP basket and the, the builder basket. Uh, to, to make additional investments, but you also have a whole slew of uh, general purpose investment baskets. You know, you have a, uh, a basket reserved for investments on restricted subs. You have a similar similar business investment basket. It doesn't seem like any of those really have undergone any changes, you know, either in Europe or the U.S. That's a good point, Peter. And, you know, maybe we need to draw a difference between bonds that are sponsor-backed and which are not sponsor-backed. And perhaps for sponsors, the ability to transfer assets into an unrestricted subsidiary, either to then transfer those assets out to themselves as a distribution or indeed to have the ability in time of stress to raise priming debt through that unrestricted subsidiary is something that is important to them. Oh, so you so, you know, they're willing to give up uh, dividend capacity uh, in return for uh, continuing to have some flexibility to uh, transfer assets should the need arise. I mean, this also leads to the um, J. Crew blocker, which seems to be more frequently seen in the U.S. than seen in Europe. And I always wondered why, if there are valuable assets in the group at the time the bond is being issued, why more investors are not insisting that those assets remain in the group by putting in a J. Crew blocker or some other similar prohibition. Yeah. You've seen the J. Crew blocker in the U.S. a few times this year, haven't you? Yeah, no, we've seen it a number of times. But uh, I mean, the, the thing is, it, it's coming up in uh, non-sponsored companies. I mean, there, you know, we saw it in uh, in Viking, uh, Viking and uh, Royal Caribbean, the cruise line issuances. We saw it in um, Abercrombie and L Brands and uh, and Macy's. Um, yeah. So, you know, we've seen it, but we've only seen it in kind of non-sponsored owned companies. And, you know, I mean, and, and obviously there are there are always, you know, exceptions to the rule. But it, it seems to me that historically the the, um, you know, pursuing transactions where you transfer assets to unrestricted subsidiaries has solely been with companies uh, that are sponsor owned. So, you know, it's great that in, you know, in those cruise lines and retailer issuances, there are J. Crew blockers. But, um, you know, I wonder whether, um, you know, that that was really all that necessary given, you know, you never kind of see a, a, a JCPenney or, or, you know, any kind of typical, you know, publicly owned uh, retailer or even the cruise lines, you never see those companies, you know, pursue these, these super aggressive transactions. It's really only the private equity owned companies. And that's why um, it, it's surprising that, um, 
that, you know, obviously investors are concerned about value leakage, but they seem really to be concerned about dividends rather than uh, transfers to unrestricted subs. Yeah. Um, just to run through a few other changes that were seen uh, in the European bonds that have had pushback um, in the recent past is one thing that investors do seem to push back on is allowing uncapped addbacks to EBITDA from synergies, cost reductions, cost savings. So in both Tyson and in GameNet, um, there was in GameNet there was a cap inserted of twenty five percent, and in Tyson the cap was reduced to twenty five percent. So that is an item that investors are also picking up on. Of course, you know, having a discussion on EBITDA is a whole different podcast, and the other flexibilities that are put into consolidated EBITDA definitions in OMS, you know, all the Various other addbacks. This is just one of the many addbacks, uh, but people are cognizant of it, alert to it, and wanting it for this particular addback to be capped. Um, and also on GameNet, we had two uh, changes with respect to change of control. Portability was limited to a one time use as a standard. And also to improve disclosure, they are now going to put in a requirement to have quarterly investor calls. Which is something which, you know, has been a hot topic for investors and is not always a requirement in European bonds. I wonder how it is for you in the U.S. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's it typically, um, you know, I, I don't think uh, it is it is common to see um, to see issuers being required to kind of hold calls. But um, then again, most of the bank debt uh, generally will have that requirement. So. Um, you know, I think maybe that the bonds are, are deferring to the, the bank debt in that respect. Although, um, you know, with the bank debt, it's, it's it, the, the conference calls are obviously just between the company and the lenders and not the bondholders. But, um, you know, I don't know, maybe the bondholders are just comfortable as long as one creditor group is, is, is getting to have uh, these conversations with the, with the borrower. But it, yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly not, not too common here either. That's interesting. The other two um, flexibilities that are worth being alert about is one, the ability to convert restricted payments capacity into secure debt capacity, which seems to be um, a flexibility that is creeping into more and more bonds and is something that it could potentially be quite useful in a stress scenario when an issuer needs to raise liquidity. And the second, which goes towards the to, to the point of value leakage that we've been discussing is the ability to sell assets and um, use the proceeds to pay dividends instead of using those proceeds to repay debt or for reinvestment purposes as you would traditionally expect. And in both these flexibilities, there is no market standard as yet on what um, you know, there are various different permutations and combinations and various different ways in which this flexibility can be formed and the extent to which it will allow for leakage or indeed dilutive debt to be incurred in the future. So the debt using RP capacity, that's certainly, uh, you know, very common in, in the U.S. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a 50-50 proposition whether it will go through, you know, in the final issuance. Um, the... Uh, converting asset sale proceeds into RP capacity is not as typical. I mean, sometimes, you know, bonds will have uh, step downs uh, so that, you know, instead of 100% of asset sale proceeds, 50% or 25% are subject to 
uh, the asset sale sweep. And so, you know, you'll have extra cash to use for your permitted uh, dividend capacity, but it's not it's not creating additional uh, capacity. But yeah, the debt to RP thing, uh, and it's usually under like an available RP capacity amount uh, concept. Yeah, that that is that is uh, you know we're seeing that a lot more now than we were a year ago at this time. Yeah, it's the same here. And in um, GameNet, the ability to convert RP capacity into secure debt capacity was found in the definition of contribution indebtedness, which is not the usual place to find something like this. Um, with respect to the ability to sell assets and pay dividends, I would distinguish between one where asset sales can create RP capacity. So for instance, if you have a specified asset sale and there's a new permission in the RP covenant, which says that if this particular asset is sold subject to a leverage ratio, the proceeds can be dividended out or where you don't have the ability to create new RP capacity, but you have the ability to circumvent the usual requirements of the asset sale covenant, which is to either repay debt or reinvest by allowing asset sales to proceeds to be used instead for making RPs, but not creating any new RP capacity. So there's quite a lot of nuance I suppose the bottom line is there's quite a lot of nuance in the way that these new flexibilities are being put into documents. And, you know, that nuance has to be examined on a case-by-case basis to determine what extent of value leakage or indeed dilutive debt is permitted because of these new innovations. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, look, at the end of the day, it's good that that creditors are having some success in pushing back on ultra-aggressive provisions. Uh, You know, hopefully they will kind of expand what is being pushed back on, but I uh, got to start somewhere. That's exactly right. Uh, this this is a good point to start, and we will keep you updated on what happens in the world of high yield bond covenants. Yeah, great. Okay, well, uh, take care, Shweta, until next week. You too. Take care, Peter. Bye. All right, bye.